So I want to invite you to, uh, to join me in prayer uh, this morning. Um, and I'm trying to get back to acclimated to preaching on the platform. So that's why you guys, you can kind of see me. I'm moving around because I'm not sitting down. Um, and uh, we want to we wanna join in prayer and then look to the word, uh, the scriptures, the book of Philippians. So let's join in prayer now um, as we turn our attention to the scriptures. Heavenly Father, once again, we, we have gathered um, at a distance. Seems like it's been going on for much longer than it has been. Um, but Lord, we ask for your wisdom as we now turn to your word, that our eyes and hearts might be open um, to all that you have for us. We pray that as we consider these um, these words on a page, these written words, that we uh, are called to uh, follow the living word, Jesus. And Lord, that's been difficult to minister um, in a, in a situation where everybody is maintaining so much distance. Um, but Lord, we are uh, aware that um, the people in our congregation have been so creative in the way that they've been ministering to one another and to our, their community, whether it's um, involvement in, um, in uh, Meals on Wheels or, or providing uh, uh, flowers and cards and encouragement or um, notes and emails and phone calls and text messages and video conferences. It's just been so much going on for people to remain connected. And Lord, now as we look to your word, help us um, to rejoice in who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Philippians chapter 2 and verse uh, 1. We're going to get into, um, in the next few weeks, uh, Philippians 2 is um, one of, I think, one of the most beautiful um, passages that Paul writes uh, in Philippians 2, Paul composes what, what is called the Christ hymn. Um, and uh, if you read most Bible commentaries, they will say that Paul didn't write this, um, that he must have borrowed it from somebody else, um, which, which has always struck me as odd that people believe that Paul wasn't capable of poetry. Um, and, uh, and, and so when you actually look that up, you'll, you'll discover that the reason that people argue that it ultimately goes back to um, an argument uh, made back in the 1960s, really. So it's not a very recent argument, um, but it's basically an argument that, that says that um, this must have existed before because if you, and I wish I was making this up, but I'm not, if you translate, if you translate this back into Aramaic, um, which is the language that was spoken in Palestine at the time, um, if you translate it back into Aramaic, it makes a really beautiful poem. Therefore, it must have been written in Aramaic. It must have originally been written in Aramaic. Um, so if you follow that argument, the argument is when you take this thing that is in Greek and you translate it to Aramaic. So when you take this poem, which is in Greek, and you translate it to Aramaic, it looks like a poem in Aramaic. Therefore, it must have originally been written in Aramaic. That's a that's a, a weird argument, but it, it also doesn't prove anything about Paul because um, Paul spoke Aramaic. So why would this mean that Paul didn't write it anyway? So we're going to get into the Christ hymn uh, probably next week, um, but we want to. I want to start with Paul's introduction to the Christ hymn in Philippians chapter two. 
and um, and so we're gonna we're gonna dive in from there. Paul has just finished talking to the church about so much. Um, he's he's talking to them. We talked last week. He he he's sharing with them this this manner of life, how you're gonna live your life. And I haven't really gotten into all of that stuff, but now he's going to drill down to the next level, which is he's taking us all the way down to what it means to uh, know Christ and what knowing Christ means. Now, and you guys remember from a couple weeks ago, I talked about the Oreo cookies. Christ is the cream at the center of the Oreo cookie. All right, he's not the, the cookie, it's, it's the core. And Christ is the core of what it means to be a Christian. So in order for us to know how to be a Christian, we have to learn Christ. And we can't just we can't just do what some people say, well, we'll just we're just gonna follow the teachings of Jesus. So we're we're quote unquote red letter Christians. So we're gonna go through the gospels and whatever Jesus said, that that must be more important than the rest of the Bible. Um, and while we put tremendous value on Jesus's words, um, what he did say, we have to remember it's not just about what Jesus said, it's also about what Jesus did. What Jesus said is, is uh, and, and I don't want to say it's less significant, but what Jesus said, as opposed to dying, um, being buried, and raised again for the forgiveness of sins, we want to make sure we don't put sayings above action. Um, because what Jesus did is actually what establishes Christianity. What Jesus said all right, before he died, uh, you could just take that to be a different understanding of Judaism. Um, but what Jesus did alters what he said into something totally different, something supernatural, and something uniquely Christian. Because we do not simply worship Jesus the teacher, Jesus the talker, we worship Jesus the Savior, the resurrected Lord. And so there is a distinction there, and that's why Paul is taking us this point. So Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul says this, so, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance, and of one mind. So there's all of his positive statements. So verses 1 and 2 are positive statements. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. And then verse uh, 3, he begins negative statements. Do, not from selfish, do, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count, yourself, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 6, he begins... Uh, the Christ hymn, um, and I'm not going to get into that yet. I want to. I want to. Going to get to the Christ hymn um, next week, but I want to just look at his introduction. If there is any encouragement in Christ, he gives us a, a list. He gives us a list of four things, and he does. Paul does this very interesting alliteration, um, and so just for um, not not. Not because, you know, Greek words sound cool or anything, but, but so that you can kind of hear um, what, what's being said. I just want to give it to you um, so you can hear the words um, of this phrase. All right. 
So this is this is how Paul wrote it. Etis un paraclesis en Cristo. Eti paramithion agapis. Etis quenonia numatos. Etis placina kai oiktiromoi. Now you you may or may not catch this. All right, but then he opens the verse. He actually opens with verse two, plirosade, um, fill up. If you listen, you can hear the puff, puff, puff sound. All right, um, the the Greek letter P um, or or pi um, that's being repeated. He has four words that that have that sound in them that he uses to alliterate and to roll um, his phrasing. So the words translate into English, um, in, in our translation, is, so if there is any encouragement, um, this is paraklesis. Um, this is, uh, it's the same word, it's a form of the word parakletos, which means uh, the one who comes alongside, the comforter, it's what John would call the Holy Spirit. Um, and it means to come alongside, para at the beginning, um, just like parachurch, parachute, something that comes alongside. Um, paraclesis, all right, in, in Christ. So if there is any coming alongside, um, and then paramithion, uh, which means, again, that para sound, paramithion agapis, um, so uh, to speak alongside, all right, um, to speak love alongside. So there are these two um, alongside words. And then he says, uh, as he keeps going, he says, any participation in the spirit, uh, this is koinonia numatos, um, which, or nefmatos. It means um, koinonia is fellowship or common to have in common, to, to hold together. The church is called koinonia. Koinonia is the word that we get communion from. Um, it is this idea of being together, fellowshipping together, and it is the, the participation in the spirit. Numatos, numa, all right, is spirit. And then he does um, this last bit. He says, any affection, affection and sympathy, and he pairs two words, all right? And the, the first one has a great thing. Greek has this thing. Every once in a while, you get a word that has three consonants in a row, and uh, this is one, it's um, <laughs> the beginning, it, this word actually has two sets of Greek consonants in a row. If I were to spell it in English, it's spelled S-P-L-A-G-K-N-A. -A. Yes, all right? Um, so it's splaknia, all right, splaknia. Sounds Russian, doesn't it? Um, and oiktormoi, uh, right, which is uh, um, sympathy. And so he uses this word for affection, this thing that happens inside our gut. Um, and these are, this is the feeling of spirit and gut. All right. So the fellowship, the participation in the spirit, all right, spirit, the immaterial part of us, and then this, um, this splegniknia, whatever, all right, which is your gut. The word, it really means the, your internal organs. Um, and, and then he says your gut and your sympathies. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, look, so if you're a Christian, if you're going to live a life worthy of Christ, if you're going to be focused and talking about and teaching and, and caring for other people, then there are two sides to that. 
He says, if there is, and then he gives us the first two. Remember, they start with para, all right, paraklesis and para, paramiothion. Um, there are two things that are external, okay? So there are two things that are external. Encouragement coming alongside, and uh, the encouragement in Christ, and then speaking love alongside. So both of these are the idea of being outside of someone else's sphere. So just like we are humans and we have our bodies, right? And our bodies are our own thing, all right? And we're keeping six feet of social distance from each other, keeping our bodies safe, all right? There are two things that we we do alongside others. And those two things are to encourage, to comfort, to come alongside, um, and and think of that that verb. Think of it like um, think of it like when um, when somebody is uh, running alongside another person. Like when you taught your kids to ride a bike, and you ran alongside and kept saying, "You're doing great. You're doing good. You're keep keep riding. Keep you're doing it." That's that's to come alongside. That's parakletos, paraklesis. It is this idea of coming alongside. But then this other thing to speak love alongside. So it's one thing to come alongside somebody. But you also have to come alongside somebody speaking love. Now, love, we've talked about this. Love doesn't mean that it's soft. It doesn't mean that we don't confront sin. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, we don't give people hard truths. But it has to be out of love. It can't be out of envy. It can't be out of strife. Paul talks about those in the first chapter. Um, he talks about those who preach Christ out of envy and strife. He talks about um, he talks about. And he'll deal with their uh, things, selfish ambition, not being sincere, trying to afflict him. He says, you can't, you can't preach the gospel that way. That's not truly the gospel. But when we, we come alongside people to comfort and encourage, and we come alongside speaking love, that's external. But then he also has an internal thing going on. He says, this, this action... And there's a, there's a relationship between our outer activities, our external activities, and our internal activities. Uh, they're in synergy. So things that we do on the outside get inside, and the things that are inside get outside. So, so you know, sometimes you're just doing things externally, but eventually it comes to have meaning deep inside of you. And then sometimes you have things that are deep inside of you that manifest out into outward activity. And so there's a synergy. There's a there's a synergy in our being. Um, and so there's these outside behaviors, external things, coming alongside, speaking love. Um, but then there's also an internal thing, the the unity, koinonia, the fellowship, the partnership of the spirit, and then the feelings, emotions, and sympathy that come from your gut, from your core. And, and he's, he's drawing this, this image of a whole being. Think about how he's describing you as a whole person. He's describing you in relationship to other people and you in relationship to yourself. So he's talking about both your outside and your inside and bringing all of those things into concert with Christ. If there is any encouragement... If there's anything that you can do to come alongside uh, uh, somebody that is struggling, somebody that's celebrating, whatever, to come alongside them, if there's any motivation to do that, if there's any motivation to speak love 
alongside people, to, to encourage them with love and truth and grace. If there's any kind of spiritual unity amongst us, if our spirits are united with each other through Christ, if there's any kind of true emotion, true connection, true gut feeling about what it takes in order to be a Christian, if any of those things are true, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. He says, if you really look at yourself, if all of you is devoted to Christ, if all of you, your gut, your spirit that's united with others, your gut, your sympathy, your emotions, your spirit, your fellowship, your, your, your speaking, your, your encouraging, if all of that, if it, if it has any significance, it is because of Christ. He says, you can complete my joy. And he's going to give us, um, uh, he's going to give us two pairs of things that are going to be uh, related to one another. He says, um, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. So in other words, thinking the same and loving the same. And then he flips it around. And he says, being of full accord and of one mind. All right, so same mind, same love, full accord, which comes from the love, and one mind, so the mind together. So he's giving us a, a chiastic structure, uh, which just means you start with one thing, you go down, and you, you, you come back up. So it's like climbing down a ladder or climbing up a ladder. And the idea of what he's doing is he's saying, so if this is true, then we should be of the same mind. We should all be working together. We should be devoted to the same task. Now, Paul does not mean that there's no room in the body of Christ for dissent. He doesn't mean that there's no room in the body of Christ for disagreement and discussion. What he does mean is that when we truly seek after the mind of Christ, when our whole being is going after Christ, when our encouragements come from Christ, when our speech and love comes from Christ, when our spirits are united together in Christ, when our gut feelings are brought into, into uh, harmony and unity with Christ, when our whole being is seeking after Christ, it should not surprise us that we find out that we in the church have the same mind and harmony that we, we are willing to submit our will to the will of Christ. It should not surprise us that we, um, we find unity in our task and calling when we first and foremost seek after Christ. And, and sometimes I think that we just take it for granted that, that there is going to be argument and dissent and problems wherever people are involved. That this is just human nature. Human beings argue and fight. We split and we divide. That's what we do. We just take it for granted that that's the way things are. And, and sometimes that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if you go picking a fight with somebody, don't be surprised that they fight back. Um, sometimes, you, you know, sometimes people are just spoiling for a fight. Sometimes people, and, and I'm guilty of this one, sometimes you just believe that there is no way 
you could actually have a, a good thing for a long time. Things are going to fall apart. The next shoe is going to fall. You know, there, there's no way that this can just keep working out the way that it's going to work. Now, in one sense, it's great because when you have that mentality that when God does things, you can just give him all the credit. But at the same time, shouldn't we just have confidence that God is going to do what God said he's going to do? That God's people are going to be focused on what God wants him, their, his people to be focused? That, that we're going to be in concert with his spirit because we are in unity with Christ. Um, that's where Paul is going from. Now, what he's doing is he's setting this up. So that when he confronts false teachers, he confronts them not from the position of Paul says, but you say, but confronts them from the position of this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And this is what you're doing. Which one do you think Christ is interested in? Which one honors God more, your agenda or Christ's agenda? Which one belongs at the center of the church, our agendas or Christ's agenda, because really our agenda should be Christ's agenda. And if they're separate, we have to ask ourselves, where's the encouragement in Christ? Where's the comfort from love? Where's the shared commonality participation in the spirit? Where's the gut feeling? So, as we, as we look at our journey as Christians, as we compare ourselves to Christ, and we look at our journey as a church, and we compare ourselves to our head, we look at the body, the church, and compare it to the head, Christ. We should always be looking for the things that God is doing that's bringing our whole being into harmony with him. And you know what? It's much easier to confront false teaching if it's not, well, let's compare my systematic theology with your systematic theology. Let's compare your books and sources and professors with my books and sources professors. But rather it is, let's look at Christ and him working in us, since he is the hope of glory. And then let's look at your agenda and see what's missing. So I would encourage you, first and foremost, brothers and sisters, um, to continue to pursue that encouragement, comfort, participation, affection, sympathy, the whole being submitted to Christ. Uh, one of the weird philosophical things that happened to Christianity in the Middle Ages was that it bought into this idea of Neoplatonism. And I'm not going to get into the details of what that is, except to say that it is basically the belief that the spiritual being, like some ethereal out there being somewhere, is totally in harmony with God. And the physical being is uh, evil and broken and fallen and totally out of harmony with God. And so to be holy is to destroy the physical. Um, and, and we see this in the Middle Ages, the flagellates whipping themselves, people crucifying themselves, people starving themselves, living on pillars, all the stuff that they did. The idea was to destroy the physical so that the spiritual could be manifest. And I would challenge you that what the Bible actually teaches is that your whole being, 
physical and spiritual, mental and gut, every single aspect of you is supposed to be in unity with Christ. And that the physical body, your physical body, can be just as in harmony with Christ. Your, your desires, your will, your heart, your, uh, your longing, your hungers, your, all those things, they can be brought into physical harmony with Christ just as your spirit can. That you, your life is not warfare between the evil broken you and the super spiritual you. There's just you and your relationship with Christ and God working in you to bring about his glory. Let's join in prayer. And then, um, then Eric's going to lead us in a closing song. Eric Wittenberg's going to lead us in a closing song. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll be done. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather again to worship in your presence, even if we are not in each other's presence. And we ask that you would be uh, glorified as only you can be in all we do and say. Lord, help us to come more and more into harmony with you and with your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.